Please pray with me. Oh, Father God, we come before you, and it's a new year. We have no idea what this year is going to hold. We don't even know what today is going to hold. But we just thank you because you're the Lord of this year, just as you were Lord of last year. So right now, God, as we start afresh, I just want to invite your spirit to be here. God, you know I don't have the words. I don't have the words that your people need to hear. Our hearts are longing from you, and words aren't enough. But your breath and your spirit and your presence is. So we just want to ask for that this morning. Ask for your blessing. Ask for your guidance. Ask for you to speak to our hearts and give us the courage and the grace to obey you, to follow you, and to say yes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy New Year. So I don't know what you were doing for your New Year's Eve. Some people like to go crazy. My best friend flew to New York, and she was in Times Square when the ball dropped. She was there for, I think, 12 hours waiting for it. And there are no restrooms, and there are no trash cans, and people start drinking really early because there's not a lot to do. So that's what she was doing around New Year's Eve. I was at home. I decided to celebrate by eating non-vegan food. And my husband and I don't have cable or a TV hookup, but we do have a TV and internet. So we thought to ourselves, we will watch the ball drop, and it will be amazing. So about, you know, 11.55, we decided to do the live stream, and we're waiting for the ball to drop. And then the big countdown happens, 60, 59, 58. And so we're counting down, and we're standing, we're holding our dog, just the three of us. Awesome New Year's Eve party. And then all of a sudden at 42, the internet stopped. So we're like, oh no. And so we're on the computer, we're like trying to do the thing, and we're like, okay, it's not going to work. Where, where, where would we be right now? 18? So we started at 18, we counted down, and then when we hit zero, the TV's off, we yelled, Happy New Year! <laughs> Just the two of us. And then we looked at the clock and it was 12.03, so we missed the boat there. But that's New Year's Eve, right? Like, we, we celebrate. We're so excited. The world is excited because finally there's a new start. There's hope that this year, this year's going to be different. So people party and they celebrate and they're just so grateful for one more year. Are you excited? Some of us are excited. Some of us are not as excited. We're trying to be excited. You know, we're trying to count down from 10, but some stuff's kind of getting in the way. And sometimes those things that get in the way are fears and concerns about what is this year going to bring? We had the same excitement about 2015, and for some of us, it didn't turn out exactly as we had hoped. So what is 2016 going to bring? My New Year's Day was very interesting. You know, we were talking about Christmas chaos the last two weeks. But there should be something called New Year's chaos, or just regular chaos. I guess they call it life. My husband and I were in the ER from 8 p.m. till 2 a.m. this morning. Nothing serious, nothing big. Just had to, you know, there was just kind of an emergency that happened. And as I was there, um, the ER was packed. It was completely full. We were sitting in one of the gurneys in one of the hallways. And I saw the craziest stuff. I saw the craziest injuries and horrible illnesses and people who were just waiting just a couple more hours left to live. And I thought to myself, this is the first day of the year. What happens? What do you do when your year looks like that? What do you do? And even if you're not in the ER and you're not sitting next to somebody you love who's in pain or passing away, what do you do when you face a year and you have concerns? You don't know what this year is going to bring. You're on the edge of you know, financial changes and life changes and relationship changes. What do we do in the face of so much uncertainty and so much unknown? We've been talking the last two weeks about, about God with us 
about Jesus who came from heaven as a child. And we've, we've talked so much about surrender, about how the invitation that God has for us, what we have to do before Christ can come into this world, before he can come into our lives, is surrender and say, God, I belong to you. I'm yours. Let it be to me as you have said, even if it's not what I want. And the chaos that ensues after that and the peace God offers us, not peace like life is perfect and nothing's going wrong, but the peace of being assured of right standing with God of being right with God, our hearts being right with God, and the peace that he promises us that one day it will be a cessation of war and there will be no more pain and no more suffering because Christ has come to give us that hope. But we've also looked at how peace with God involves war with Satan and his work and how when the kingdom of heaven strikes at the heart of darkness, there are violent repercussions and how those things happen in our lives and how despite how much we celebrate, we know those things are going to happen in our lives this year. So what do we do in the face of that? What do we do in the face of imminent warfare, spiritual warfare and challenges that are going to happen? God gives a promise to a regular person, not the mother of Jesus, not during Christmas, just a regular guy, midlife, maybe 40s, 50s, at a regular time of chaos in his life, just like we have. And his promise, God's promise to this man, is the same promise that he has for you and me as we face this year of uncertainty. The same promise that held him up is the same offer that he has to us. So I invite you now to turn with me to to Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. I'll give you a little bit of backstory as you're flipping through looking for Joshua. Right here, what has just happened is the children of Israel have been wandering in the desert for 40 years trying to get to Canaan, trying to get to the promised land, and now Moses has died. He has been their only leader for 40 years. Now Moses has died, and God points to Joshua, his sidekick, his aide, and says, you're up. You're going to be the one to fulfill the promise. And it's not just a promise of 40 years in the making. It's generations in the making where God promised Israel, this is going to happen. Do you have a promise like that in your life that feels like it's been a lifetime in the making? Where God has promised a certain, a certain peace with him or rightness with God and rightness with others and you're just like, why is this promise? Whatever it is God has promised you not coming through. Well, Joshua is the one who's going to fulfill the promise. But here's some of his challenges. He is now to be the leader of a nation whose name means wrestles with God. They have a long history of grumbling, stubbornness, and rebellion, which is why it's actually a young nation now, because the whole first generation was wiped away because of disobedience and rebellion to God. This is the group that Joshua's taking over. He also um, is going to have a future of facing at least seven enemy nations. So the land they're supposed to take, it's not available. They're not just going to show up and live there. He has to fight. Just like you and I, as we go through in our lives, we have to fight in order to live the lives God wants us to live. They are facing battle. And they're seven nations with a lot of experience. They are a young nation who's been walking around in the desert for 40 years. Okay, so major challenges that are happening there. And in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 2, it reads, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. So there's no easing in for Joshua. It's not like, hey, take another year, go around the desert a couple times so you know what it's like. He says, you're in charge, and you're going to finish it. But the first thing he says is, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
You'd think after everything Moses did, he did so much stuff. He did so much stuff, he's the answer to half of the Bible questions we ask. You think he'd get more than a line, Moses, my servant, is dead. But this is a very important line. This is God saying, Moses, the guy that I've been working with for 40 years and the stuff that I've been doing through Moses, parting the sea and you know the, the birds and the snake on the pole and the whole thing, all that stuff I've been doing, that stuff is the stuff of the past. Moses is dead. The ways that I have been working with my people and working with my leaders and with you, that stuff's over. Moses is dead. It's your turn now. And friends, sometimes God comes into our lives and says, Moses is dead. Whatever our Moses is, maybe it's the way that we think that life is supposed to go and the structures that we've set up to understand our lives and to understand ourselves and our identities. And God comes in with an invitation and says, let me put all of that away. Let all of that be in the past. Let's make this a new year. And not just new because you counted down from 10 and celebrated, but new because I'm trying to do a new thing in you. And sometimes the only way for that to happen is for us to say, God, I'm ready to release the past. All of the regrets and all of the questions and the things I wish had happened and how much I wish I was in a different place right now, but I've made so many mistakes and this is where I've ended up. God says, Moses is dead. Let's do a new thing. And that's his invitation to us today too. Let's do a new thing today. And this is what God says we're going to do. He says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. It's the hope of a new year. This year, this year I'm going to conquer the territory that I've never been able to. This year I'm finally going to lose the weight that I've been saying for 10 years I'm going to lose. This year I'm finally going to save the money. This year I'm finally going to go back to school. This year is my year. I'm going to make it happen. Right? It's the hope of a new year. But there is something that we get immensely wrong. New Year's resolutions, we make them usually as a response to the stuff we hate in our lives. That's why everyone's at the gym the first week of the year, and three weeks later, it is empty. Because we want to change. But somehow, we are not able to. I was reminded of one of my favorite kids' books. I don't know if you've heard of Frog and Toad. It's a frog and a toad, and they're friends, and they do stuff. And one day, they get together, and they make a batch of cookies, and they're like, we are going to eat these cookies. And they realize it's unhealthy. And they say to one another, we must stop eating, cried Toad as he ate another cookie. I saw this posted this week, hashtag story of my life. (laughs) We must stop eating, but I cannot stop eating the cookies. And the reason for this, the reason why our New Year's resolutions and all our willpower and our desire to finally make a change in our lives, the reason why this happens is because of what John Ortberg says. Our habits eat our willpower for breakfast. Our habits and the things that we're used to and the stuff we're used to in our lives, they eat our willpower for breakfast. Frog told Toad that willpower is not doing the thing that you most want to do. How long can we keep that up? How long can we keep up not doing the thing that we most want to do? And friends, this isn't just about exercising and eating and stuff like that. This is also about our spiritual walk. How many times have we started a new year and said, this year is going to be the year for my relationship with God? This year, I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to trust God. I'm going to surrender and all the stuff we've been talking about. This year, I'm going to love better. I'm going to be a better person. And two seconds later, we're like yelling at the person next to us. Why? Because our habits eat our willpower for breakfast. 
One of the things that has been most telling to me is the fact that no matter where I go, I heard it when I was growing up, and in every place that I've been, I've always had a teen or a young person ask me, Pastor Sam, why is it that people can go to church their entire lives and hear the sermons and listen to the music, and they are just as mean and unhappy as people who are not believers? Why is that? I've been, I am that mean and unhappy person sometimes. And it's not because I want to be. I want to do good. I want to love. I want to do all this stuff, but my habits eat my willpower for breakfast. We are not able to fulfill our goals. We are not able to change ourselves. We are not able to be transformed without the power of God. And so many times we think that God is telling us, just try harder. If you just do more stuff, then you're going to be that person. You'll conquer the territory. You'll receive the promise. But that's not even what God tells Joshua. He says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. This is the place where we go so wrong. We try to do it ourselves. And God says, will you just let me do it? You do not have the power to change yourself. But if you will let me, if you will step forward in faith, I can do the changing for you. If you will surrender, if you will give me your life, if you will let me be king, not your advisor or your friend, but you will actually do the things that I say and let me have some charge over your life, the charge over your life, I will give you every place you set your foot. Notice God doesn't say he'll wave his magical transformation wand and then we'll all be different and changed and like Jesus. He says, I'll give you every place you set your foot. Every place where you're willing to step forward in faith, I'm going to give that to you. Every place that I've called you to, every relationship, every business venture, every desire you have for your relationship with me that I've called you to, step forward in faith. Where you set your foot in faith, I will give it to you. I was reminded about how impossible it is It is for us to do things ourselves. I read a story this week. I don't know if you've heard of Team Hoyt. Um, they're both named Richard, but the younger Richard, Richard Jr., was born with cerebral palsy, and he was born with a permanent handicap. The most he can do is move his arms. But one day he heard about a five-mile race to benefit leukemia, and he told his dad, Dad, I want to run in the race. And his dad, knowing how impossible this was for him, thought to himself, how can we do this? And he said, okay, I've never run a mile in my life. Mom, put you in your wheelchair, and we're going to run that race together. And when the five miles were done, he turned to his dad and he said, Dad, when I'm running, I don't feel handicapped. I feel free. And as of 2014, this father and son pair has run more than 1,100 races together. I said in first service they'd run five Boston marathons, but it's actually 36. 36 Boston marathons, six Ironman challenges. Put him in a boat and swim across with bungee cords attached to his shoulder. This young man has run 1,100 races, not because he was able, but because he was able and willing to put himself in his father's care and say, Dad, I can't run this race, but if you run it for me, I can run it. I'm not able to run this race on my own, but you have power more than I have, and I'm going to submit myself to you to experience the things that I could never experience on my own. That is what God offers Joshua, and that's what he offers you and me today. He says, you are not able. You are not able to make the changes. I am not able to make the changes. You cannot make yourself like Jesus. But if you will just submit yourself to me, put your trust in me, not just a little, but your full trust in me, I will run you down those races, and you will experience the promises that I have for you. That's what he told Joshua. 
And more than that, this is what he says, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country that belongs to another people with another God, to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So many times through scripture, God has repeated that promise to us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But for years, I never took comfort in that promise. So God's there. So what? God's not going to leave me. God's not going to forsake me. What does that mean? And I realized it's because, of how, it's, it's because of how I saw God. When I thought of God, I saw him as this judgmental presence that was marking off things that I was doing wrong and taking note of my sins. That is not a comforting presence. We have this voice of God that says, I will be with you. But at the same time, we have this voice of the enemy that says, God is with you, but he's counting all your mistakes. And he's saying everything that you've done wrong. And there has to be a time where we come to truth of whose voice that really is. When I was growing up, I'm Filipino. I grew up with a million cousins. And when I was around six or eight years old, I remember I got mad at one of my cousins and I wrote a note to another cousin because we're six and passive aggressive. And I wrote a note about that cousin to my other cousin. And the cousin that I wrote the note to left the note out and one of my dad's relatives found it, someone who had known him since he was little. And she got the note and read it, called her sister and they read it. Then they called the whole family together. And I remember my mouth went dry, like the world tilted. It was not an okay moment. And she read it out loud to the entire family. Everyone but my parents were there. And then she folded it up and she looked at me and she said, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm gonna tell your dad. And I know your dad. Your dad had a really bad temper when we were growing up, so he's gonna yell at you, he's gonna punish you, maybe even worse. And I was terrified. The last thing I wanted to do was disappoint my dad. The last thing I wanted to do was experience the wrath of his anger. So for a couple months, I did it. I did what she said, and I felt under so much pressure, and I was so afraid my parents were going to find out what I had done, until I couldn't take it anymore, and I went to my dad, and I just confessed, and I didn't know what was going to happen, if he was going to punish me or worse, but I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Sam, it's not right what you did, but you don't have to be afraid of them telling me. I'm your dad. I'm on your side. And so the next week I was at this relative's house and she pulled out the note again. She still had it and said that to me. And I remember she said, I'm going to tell your dad. And I looked up and I yelled, go ahead. Go ahead and tell my dad. Call him at work because my dad is on my side, not your side. (laughs) And friends, this is what God offers to us too. He says, the enemy is the one who tells you that I'm mad at you. The enemy is the one who holds your past against you. The enemy is the one dangling that note in front of you saying, look what you did wrong. But I'm your dad. I'm on your side. I am with you. I am for you. I am not against you. I want success for you. I want joy for you. I want peace for you. I am on your side. It doesn't matter how you've messed up. It doesn't matter what brought you to this point. I'm on your side. We're going to fix this. We're going to fix this. And that's what God tells Joshua too. I am on your side. I'm not just a benign presence hanging out. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never give up on you. I will never stop helping you. I will never stop coming after you. I'm on your side. And that is the promise that he makes to Joshua. So he tells them, in light of all of this, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. 
Sometimes the thing we forget is that God uses us to fulfill his promises. He uses us. He says, I am present for you, but I'm asking you to be present for others too. God promised them Canaan, but they wouldn't have received it, at least not at this time, without Joshua being willing to be present. God says, I am present for you. I am there for you. I am for you. Will you be present for others too? Andy Stanley says, we have no idea who or what is on the other side of our obedience. As we looked last week, if the wise men hadn't been willing to give this poor family all the gifts that they had brought, Jesus' family would not have had the money to run to Egypt. We don't know what's on the other side of us saying yes to God. So God says, I will fulfill the promise to you. Will you be present for others? One author writes something that I really think explains what it means to be present. He says, being present involves letting go of our constant preoccupations, immersing ourselves in the here and now, and giving ourselves wholeheartedly to whatever is at hand. It's about becoming more aware, alert, awake to the fullness of the immediate moment. God says, you wanna live more days in 2016 than in 2015? Be present. Let your desires be more than about what you want to accomplish for yourself, but being present for others being present, awake, and aware to other people's needs and asking God, God, you've promised you're always with me, but is there somebody here right now that you need someone to go so that they have a tangible presence that's with them, a tangible help to them? That's what God is asking us to do. So he tells them, be strong and courageous because it's you that's gonna lead them into the land. And then he gives them, he gives Joshua the steps for how this is gonna happen. This is the way that we come about and fulfill the promises God has in our lives. He says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This is not a one day a week commitment. This is not the token showing up at something. This is God saying, dedicate your heart and your life to my words and you will change. Because following God is not a decision, it's not a matter of trying harder, it's a matter of training. Without the training, the daily decision of choosing God every day, we will not be able to follow him no matter how much we want to. I was reminded of this um, a few months ago when I decided I was gonna finally start getting in shape and I'm gonna start working out. A couple friends of mine and Wally's invited us to go running with them. That day it was windy and it was rainy, so I thought maybe they'll cancel. And I was hoping they would because I hadn't been running in a year. In a year, I used to be able to run five miles with no problem, but a few months ago when I had just started, I hadn't been running in over a year, but they said, oh, it's raining, it's windy, the wind will help us. So I started running. And man, I wanted to run those three miles. And I tried, I wanted to, and I tried really hard, but I was not able. I walked like half of it, I was not able. Not because I didn't want to, not because I wasn't trying, but because I had not trained. And this is what God says. Doesn't matter how much you wanna follow me, it doesn't matter how hard you try. If you're not training, you cannot do this. So he gives us three steps in this, in this scripture. He says, I want you to keep my word on your lips. Talk about it. Talk about it. Tell other people what you're learning. And in, in the Hebrew, when he talks about it, it's actually mutter. Mutter the words. Say them out loud. Memorize them. Keep them on your mouth, in your mind. Talk about it. Think about it. Dwell on it. 
one author once said that reading scripture is like thinking God's thoughts after him. And as we follow the, the, the pathway of his thoughts, our minds get shaped to be more like him. Talk about it. Think about it. And don't just stop there. Like, it's so easy to do in church. We talk about it. We think about it. God says, do it. Just do it. Just step forward and do it. If we don't live the things that we're reading, if we don't allow God to actually come and empower us to do stuff we couldn't do on our own, there will be no transformation. God says, talk about it, think about it, and then do it. My dad once told me that I only believe the part of the Bible that I actually live. The rest of it, it's just part of the Bible. I'll illustrate to you what I mean. Um, Long ago, somewhere in the 1700s, there was this man named Charles Blondine. And he was the very first man to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And he didn't just walk on this tightrope. One time he walked across it on stilts. Another time he took a chair and a stove with him and sat midway across, cooked an omelet, and ate it. This is is fact. I looked it up in six different sources to to make sure this is true. Another time he took a chair, stood one leg of the chair on the tightrope, and stood on the chair. He's done this blindfolded, he's done this shackled, and he's pushed a wheelbarrow across loaded with 350 pounds of cement. So when the great Blondine would go to Niagara Falls, he would have large, large crowds of people come and watch him. And one day, as he was about to cross the tightrope, he asked the crowd, do you believe that I can cross this tightrope? And they said, yes, we do. And this chant went on for a while until he picked one man and he said, do you believe that I can cross this tightrope? And he said, yes, I do, yes, I do. And he wheeled his wheelbarrow over and said, then get in. (laughs) If you believe it, you believe I can go across this tightrope. Get in. And he would not. (laughs) Though the great Blondine's manager actually did go across the tightrope with him on his back. But the point is, is we only actually believe what we're willing to put ourselves out there for. We're only we actually only believe the parts of the Bible we're willing to live out. And so when God says, let my word be everything to you, this is your training every day in your word. Talk about it. Think about it. Do it. He says, don't just stop. Get in. Get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheelchair. Let's run the races. It will only transform us to the level that we're willing to actually do it. And then he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. With you. With you. For you. Supporting you. With you. An author that helped me understand what with you means is this man named Bob Goff. A few years ago, we heard him speak at Catalyst. He is an attorney, a successful attorney. He is um, one of the consuls for Uganda. He runs an anti-human trafficking organization. He teaches in law school. He's this incredible guy. But this picture, I think, describes him a little bit better. Um, When he first came onto the stage, he said, Hi, my name is Bob, and I like hugs. Six-foot-tall man, just totally insane. And in his book, Love Does, which is a New York Times best-selling book, he talks about what it means for someone to be with you, about how when he was in high school, he wanted to jump the tracks and go to Yosemite and get a job. And his young life leader said, hey, I'm with you. Got in the car, traveled around for days, and was just a supportive presence. Said, I'm with you. I'm going to help you. Until Bob realized that he couldn't get a job in Yosemite and came back and realized only then that his young life leader had gotten married just three days before but was willing to be with him and be present for someone who was about to jump the tracks because he knew he needed presence. Well, the teens and I, we did his Love Does 
Bible study. And at the end, he leaves his phone number and he says, call me. I'm available. I'll be present for you. Call me. Let's chat. And I thought to myself, this guy's not going to answer the phone, New York Times bestselling Mr. Important. But I put the number up in the screen and Michael Talmonte <laughs> dialed it into his phone. And before we knew it, he was like the phone was ringing on speaker. And I was nervous. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to talk. I have to say something. And I was like, oh, he's not going to answer. It's going to be fine. It's going to be an aide or something. But from the other side of the phone, we hear, hello, this is Bob. <laughs> and he had answered the phone, and we talked to him. He was available. He was willing to be available. Mr. Important didn't want to just send somebody else, but he talked to this little youth group from Benita, and it was the most amazing thing. And when I realized that this important guy was willing to be available for just us, I thought to myself, how much more amazing that the God of the universe answers his phone and doesn't just answer his phone. He shows up. You know, for Joshua, he says, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When it was Moses' time, he followed them around in a cloud. It wasn't going to be like that anymore. He said, you're going to have to trust in my presence. I'm here. I'm with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So let that give you courage. And he says another thing. He doesn't promise it's going to be easy. But like we've looked at for the last two weeks, he says it's not going to be easy. He didn't promise him an easy time, but he did say you will be ready for anything and equal through to anything through him who infuses inner strength into you, you'll be sufficient for all the challenges you face in Christ's sufficiency. That's the promise he makes to us. He says, as this year comes forward, I am with you. Please train, train in my word so that you can become, you will allow me to transform who you are to be the person that I've called you to be. And remember that though waters will rise and there will be storms, the very next thing Joshua does is take them into a flooded river. Even though the waters are gonna rise, I'm with you and I will give you, I will infuse into you all the strength you need to face anything through Christ's sufficiency. You're not strong enough. I will give you more than you can handle. It's so funny to me when people say God doesn't give us more than we can handle. The whole point is to give us stuff we can't handle so we know that he can handle it. But he says he's gonna give us, he's gonna give us stuff we can't handle, but he says I will infuse into you inner strength to face all of those things. So finally, this is what Joshua says. Joshua goes to his people and he says, in three days, we are going to cross the Jordan and we are going to take Canaan. Three days. What an amazing step of faith. He hears God. He believes God. In three days, we're going to cross the Jordan. And they go. They go. Joshua's whole story, this sidekick of Moses, is of an amazing leader who took the land because he listened to God. God told him what to do, and he said yes. Only one time in his life did he turn from the law. One time in his life, and he made an agreement with a foreign nation that tricked him. But he, other than that time, he kept God's commandments. And when he was an old man, God told him, there's still much more to do, so split it up. But he had God's favor, and he had God's honor because he was willing to do this. He was willing to train in God's word, accept and believe God's presence, talk about it, think about it, and do it. And finally, he was, he was willing when God told him to, to take today's step. When God came to Joshua, he didn't tell him, now go to Canaan today. He said, get ready to go. And so he went to his people and said, in three days we're going. He took today's step. So what is today's step for you? And the promises that God has for you, the Canaan, he wants to give you. He doesn't want you to wander around in the desert. It's very frustrating to him. To the land he wants to give us, what is today's step? What is our first step in training? We don't go all the way the first day, but as we train to become the men and women God wants us to be, 
what is today's step? And will we be willing to talk about God's word, think about God's word, and just do God's word? As the band comes forward, I invite you to consider and to ask God, what is that place? What is that place you've been wanting to take me to all my life, that place of trust and of faith? And ask yourself if you're willing finally this year to say, God, I'm not going to try to go it myself. I'm not going to try to run the race. I'm not going to try to conquer the cities. I'm just going to put myself in your care and say yes. And if you haven't had that opportunity or you haven't made that decision to say, God, this year I put myself in your care, now is the time to say, God, I trust you. I give myself to you. And if you want to make that official, let us know. But if you just need to say in your heart, God, I trust you, no matter what happens, then I encourage you to say that to him today.